If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. The psalm uh, is the first in a series of psalms uh, called the Songs of Ascents. We'll talk about what that means uh, in just a little bit. This is the word of our God. A song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What more shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This ends the reading of the Lord's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, we ask that you would illumine it for us, that your spirit would be with our hearts and with our minds, that you would cleanse us from distractions, that you would help us, Lord, to be able uh, to not just focus, but also grow and appreciate your word, that you might grow our faith, you might comfort us, you might challenge us, and that you might point us to Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So like I mentioned, uh, this psalm is the first uh, of the songs of ascents. Uh, these are Psalms 120 through 134. And these, uh, this set of songs uh, called the songs of ascents, uh, there's some debate about when they are written uh, or what, for what purpose. Um, some believe uh, and argue that these were written in four uh, pilgrims, people who were traveling to Jerusalem uh, from around Israel uh, or even outside of Israel. So there would have been pilgrim feasts like Passover where all of Israel from wherever they were would converge uh, on Jerusalem. And these songs uh, would have been songs that they would sing as they travel, uh, songs that they lift up as they lift their eyes to Jerusalem. There's a sense where they are leaving the world right, and they are setting their eyes upon something better upon a better place, upon a higher place. So there's this theme of upwards movement that God's people are, are journeying somewhere. But what sparks that pilgrimage? What drives God's people to take a journey like this? I think Psalm 120 uh, tells us why. It tells us what's the motivation and in a word, uh, you can think about it like this, that Psalm 120 is a song of disillusionment. Now, disillusionment uh, is the realization 
that what we thought would make us content actually can't. Disillusionment is a little bit different from discontentment in that sense. Discontentment is dissatisfaction. It's a dissatisfaction with the way things are. But there's almost a sense where it can be warped and twisted to believe that, well, I don't like how it is, but it can be changed. You know, if I just had a little bit more of something or a little bit better uh, understanding of something else, then I would be content. Disillusionment cuts through all of that. Because disillusionment realizes that the place where I was looking for contentment isn't giving it. And it can't give it. Disillusionment is a realization that something is wrong. That this, is, this world is not going to provide what I am looking for. This is a psalm, this is a prayer of a disillusioned saint. Someone who is so utterly fed up of where he lives, right? And of the inhabitants of those places. He is so sick of it that all he can do is cry out to the Lord and ask for deliverance. How did he get to that point? How did he get to this place of disillusionment, of, of, a, of a deep dissatisfaction with the world? Why does he say he lives in Meshech and Qadar? Weird places that I'd never heard of until reading this psalm. And it's interesting, why, why did the psalmist choose these places? Uh, we're not exactly sure where they were. Uh, some believe that Meshech was somewhere in Turkey, or it could even have been as far north as Russia. Uh, and Qadar was likely uh, roving nomadic bands of barbarians uh, to the south of Israel. So you kind of have these two really distant places. But what the psalmist is doing is, is saying, this is not a, a geographical problem. The problem is, I live in strange foreign lands. I live in places that don't worship the Lord. I'm a, a sojourner in these places. And what this means is that this psalmist is saying, I am not at home. Instead, I am far off in Meshech, or I'm over there with Kadar, with the barbarians. right? And even <clears throat> still, the people that he's with, he's seeing how little he agrees with them, how little he gets along with them. right? He is fed up. He says in verse 2, with lying lips, with deceitful tongues. He lives among these people. He lives among people who hate peace, people who love war, and he hates it. Woe to me that I live in this place. Too long have I lived here. I don't want to be here. I think before God's people can realize their need for something greater, their need for something more, there has to be a realization of the inadequacy of the world. We have to come to a point where we are not satisfied with the world and we also recognize that it's not going to provide those things ever. 
that we need something better, something greater. And that's how the psalmist opens it up. He says, I cried to the Lord. Deliver me, Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And these two things, lying lips and deceitful tongue, they're not just categories for falsehood. These are not just liars. Uh, But scripture elsewhere talks about lying lips and deceitful tongues as uh, representing those who hate God and those who hate others. These are people who are enemies of God, who uh, use the things they have, their gifts, their tongues, their words, to hate, to hurt, to stir up conflict and division. So he's not crying out from a particular oppressor in this psalm. Instead, he's crying out against really immorality itself, conflict, and the false promises of the world. He's crying out for freedom, freedom from all the wrongs of the world. Exactly. He gets it. See, the psalmist, when he looks at the world, he sees how broken it is. He sees how he wants peace. But the people around him are not for peace. They're for war. He's not okay with injustice. He's not okay with conflict. He's not okay with hatred and with death and with sorrow. And whenever he speaks like this, whenever he talks about this, what happens? When I speak about it, they are for war. It seems that they are okay with injustice and with hatred and with conflict and with war. And he's not. In fact, it seems that they want those things. And even if they were to say they did, right? how can he believe them? How can he believe them if they promise peace, promise to want this, but all they do is perpetuate conflict? Right? He doesn't share values. He doesn't share his desires with the inhabitants of Meshach and Kadar. The things that he hopes for are not the things that they want. He's not at home. And I think we can relate. We can relate to the psalmist and to this feeling that the world is broken, that our relationships are not what they're meant to be, that our marriages are not peaceful all the time, that our kids don't listen to us, that the world itself, society, seems bent upon destruction. It doesn't feel like the world is getting better. It feels like the world is getting worse. And it seems even superficially, right, the world may claim to want the same things, but when we dig deeper, right, they don't want the same things. When we speak for peace, 
The response is anger and hatred. The psalmist's deep realization is that no matter what the world claims to want, the fruit of it is conflict and war, and ultimately it's death. This is, this is the first step of the pilgrim journey. This is the step that every believer must take. That there has to be a renunciation of the world and turning to the Lord. That we have to say, the world is not my home. Meshach and Kedar are not where I will find my fulfillment. I need God. I need the Lord. Right? And this turning away from the Lord, uh, turning away from the world, from its desires, from its pursuits, and turning towards the Lord. Right? The Bible has a word for this. It's repentance. That the psalmist is is showing us and living through this step of repentance. Notice he's not talking about his sin here. It's not that he is confessing sin, but he is saying, this world is not my home. This is broken and wrong, and I need something more. I need something far better. I need the Lord. And so he calls out to the Lord. Verse 1, in a sense, gives us the, the thesis almost of what the psalm is about. He's saying, I called to the Lord, deliver me from this. It's interesting, right, that his repentance in seeing through uh, the world and all of its, uh, its lies and desires and war, right? He sees almost that as if there's two paths, right? You can go two ways. You can go the way of the lying lips and a deceitful tongue, or you can go to the Lord. And if you want to follow the lying lips and deceitful tongue, let me show you where that's going to go. Verse three and four, right? What more shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. There's an irony here uh, because elsewhere in Scripture, uh, God compares lying lips and deceitful tongues uh, to arrows. Right? It's, it's as if uh, the words spoken from this kind of attitude and this kind of person can pierce, can harm, uh, can stir up conflict and division. And so the irony is that as they send arrows over right, to hurt others, that is also what comes back to them that that's where that road goes. If you want to follow that path, okay, but arrows are the end of that. And then glowing coals. Right? These, are, these are the weapons of the judgment of the Lord. The Lord does not stand idly by and allow, allow sin to continue. He is just. And he enacts judgment. So that's where that goes. 
I don't want to be on that path. I don't want to dwell with these people. I want to be where the Lord is. I want to dwell with the Lord. I want peace. I don't want conflict and hatred. And so he turns his back on the world, renounces it, and turns to God. Right? Because all sin can provide is arrows and coals. It promises other things. Right? How often does sin promise to make you happy or promise to fulfill you, to promise to satisfy you? Right? Sin makes you want other things. It makes you deeply discontent and says, well, if you just take it from someone else or if you just do this, then you're finally going to be happy. You're finally going to have everything you want. But it's all lies because only God can truly satisfy. Right? Only the Lord can provide what the psalmist truly wants. Peace. Justice. Wholeness. Truth. Only God can provide that. And did you notice in verse 1, how when the psalmist says that he cried out to the Lord, uh, he answered me. But the psalm doesn't end like you would expect it to. Right? The psalm doesn't end with the Lord answering him in a visible way. It doesn't end with him experiencing deliverance. Right? It doesn't end with, well, I was in Mexican Gadar, and it was really bad. Then I cried out to the Lord, and he took me to a good place. Right? It doesn't end like that. It doesn't even end with him saying, well, okay, I'm going to be here and that's okay. No, in a sense, this prayer just kind of abruptly stops. It stops with, when I speak for peace, they are for war. That's where the psalm ends. And it's not even a nicely structured psalm. right? It's not very artistic and beautiful. It's not poetic. It doesn't feel, it doesn't even hear doesn't sound good to our ears, right? When you listen to Psalm 23, you think, oh, that's beautiful. You know, Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. It's all nice. This Psalm is like, I hate it. This world is awful. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And that's probably how the psalmist feels living in Meshach and Kadar. Isn't it? a blessing then that the Lord answers these kinds of prayers. Isn't it a blessing that the Lord answers prayers of, of like this, right? Prayers that are full of complaints, prayers that don't sound good, prayers that aren't organized in a specific way, but that the Lord answered. Because the answer doesn't depend upon the prayer. And the answer does not depend on the prayer. The answer depends upon the Lord. Our prayers are short, bad, not pretty, full of complaints and rambling, and we lose focus halfway through the prayer. Right? But if it depended upon us, then why would God listen to that kind of prayer? And yet, 
the Lord answers. Not always in the way that we expect, but the Lord answers. For the psalmist, how does God answer him? He doesn't get teleported out of Meshach and Kedar. He's not instantly uh, made better. He's not instantly made whole. He doesn't instantly experience peace. And God doesn't transform the society around him so that that he does have peace. Instead, I think there's there's two ways that the Lord answered uh, the psalmist's prayer. I think the first answer is the fact that the psalmist had this desire in the first place for something better. The very fact that he wants true peace and knows that it's only found in Christ is already evidence that God is answered. Because no one wants God unless God calls them. Right? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless I call him. So it's a blessing for the psalmist to have this distress in a sense, not because it's easy or not because it feels good, right? but it's a blessing because he knows now that there is something better. He sees that this is wrong and broken. And he knows that only God can provide what he wants. Right? In a sense, his distress forces him to run to God. And that is a blessing. But I think also that's the second part of the answer, that the psalmist has somewhere to run to. That the psalmist can run to the Lord. That the Lord has provided for the psalmist, has said, I am that refuge and that peace that you want. I am the true God. Come to me. Right? It's not that God will transform Meshach and Gadar. It's not that he will bring him out of it instantly. But this, the Lord answers by showing the psalmist that I am what you need. I am your source of truth, of peace, of wholeness, and of purpose that it's only in living in the presence of the Lord that the psalmist will find what he wants. Only in the kingdom of God will war be done away with. Because the kingdoms of the earth don't get that. They don't understand that. And when someone says for peace, they say, no, we want to fight. And we see that every day, right? Because they don't understand. They don't know the Lord. But thankfully, God's people have a place. They have a kingdom ruled by the very Prince of Peace himself. Ruled by Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what it's like to be a sojourner in in a land surrounded by people who hate peace. He was the Prince of Peace. He came proclaiming peace. But everybody around him said, what are you talking about? Even his own disciples were like, are we going to now take up swords and overthrow Rome? 
And Jesus continually proclaimed peace, even to the point of the cross. They killed him because he wanted peace. He had done nothing wrong. And yet it was the lying lips and the deceitful tongue that pinned Christ to the cross. And I even say it was our lying lips. It was our sin. It was our failures. It was our lack of peace. But Christ went to the cross. And he bore all the coals of God's judgment so that we might be forgiven. So that he might be an eternal source of peace for his people. By his blood. Those burning coals were meant for us. But Jesus bore them. And now, he's raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And there he's preparing a place for his people. God is preparing rooms for each and every one of you who have faith in Christ. There is a place for you to go. There is somewhere you can run to in your distress when the world is for war. We have someone we can go to and we know where we're going, right? We're not there yet. We're still in Meshach and Kadar. We're still pilgrims. Like the psalmist, every day we have to make that, that step, right? We have to renounce the world. We have to turn to the Lord and realize that he is everything that we want. Only he can provide all of that. And he already has. Through Christ. So we know where we're going. We know where this path leads. So let us run this race with endurance. Let us be faithful. Let us take up our cross. Renounce the world. Continually seek him. Run to him. He is everything that we need and crave most deeply. And Paul says that he who began this work will finish it. He gave us the desire. He is giving us the strength. He has given us the end goal. And he will get us there. God is faithful to the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the abundance of mercy you have in Christ. That you have looked upon us, Lord, even though we are dust, and you have loved us, not because we are numerous, not because we were more desirable than anybody else. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve your love. We ourselves, Lord, still struggle to be peaceful people. We still struggle to use our words and our actions to build others up instead of tear them down. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our lying lips, 
for our deceitful tongue. And we ask that you would give us strength, that you would renew our hearts, Lord, for this journey, that you would give us the strength every day to take those steps, to renounce the world, to turn to you, and to lay hold of what you have given us in Christ. Thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. Thank you for your son and for his sacrifice on our behalf. Your glory, your will be done for your glory. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.